This podcast is sponsored by Mississippi Land Bank. They understand the lay of the land at Mississippi Land Bank and can help you whether you're buying or selling or just looking for that perfect piece of property to build a dream home, farmland, or even hunting land and recreational as well. That's Mississippi Land Bank. Look them up online, mslandbank.com. Also brought to you by Jubilation's Cheesecake in West Point. If you have a fundraiser coming up, consider Cheesecakes from Jubilation's. A rare combination of quality and flavor, you'll find selling Jubilation Cheesecakes for your fundraiser to be profitable. And Jubilation's will customize and print your sales sheets for you. Quality, high profit, and ease. Check out jubilations.com or call Luann at 662-328-9210. That's 328-9210. Hey, everybody, and welcome to another episode of Dogpile. I am Brett Hudson, not joined by Matt Wyatt this time. We couldn't get our schedules to work out, but we're still going to have a second voice on this podcast because this as you've probably seen in the headline or in the download link however you reached us here on dogpile we're lucky enough to have a guest this time we're gonna have ross mitchell the uh the former mississippi state pitcher member of that famous 2013 team that went to the championship series at the college world series he's also joining jim ellis the famous jim ellis the voice of the diamond dogs on some radio calls this year we were lucky to to catch up with him for a few minutes after a recent midweek game so you'll you'll hear my interview with him we touched on a little bit on his his playing days but also his relationship with with jim how he got the job on the radio uh, beat that he currently has. And then we'll obviously dive into what he's seen out of this year's team, JT Ginn, the pitching staff as a whole, a little bit of Jake Bangham talk, et cetera, et cetera. So we'll get to all of that in the second part of this show. But before we dove into that, I did want to kind of briefly recap the the week that has been for Mississippi State since we last spoke and then go into the week that lies ahead. Although frankly there there ain't much to it. You'll 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 see that pretty quickly. Uh so you could you could say it was a productive week for for Mississippi State to say the least. Uh since we last spoke, they beat Sam Houston State 5 to 4 and Texas Tech 4 to 2 in the Frisco Classic. Obviously playing fantastic baseball there and frankly it's unfortunate that Sunday game with Nebraska was canceled because they were playing so good baseball, you know, it's it's not out of the realm of possibility to suggest that Mississippi State could have won that game and left Frisco with three quality wins in their pocket. But they left the week with three quality wins in their pocket anyway because they hosted East Carolina on Tuesday, won that game 4-1, to finished it off the following day with a 14-1 to win over Arkansas Pine Bluff. Now, there are a lot of individual performances that demand credit and, and respect, and I hit a lot of that in the in the Monday full count piece. So I did a, a just kind of a random post after two weeks of baseball, three things we know, two things we don't know, posted it on the Matt Wyatt Media 
dot com website on the if you go to mattwyattmedia.com go to the blog part in the top line of the page there's a hudson report link all of my written stuff goes there if you also want to find my written stuff it's easy to just follow me on twitter at brett underscore hudson or like the uh the Matt Wyatt Media Facebook page is pretty easy to to get all of our content in in those two ways. But I just posted it there randomly, just just for some thoughts and observations. And it, it took off. People seem to to really enjoy it. And and someone I wish I could give their name and, and credit them. I don't have it in front of me, but someone had the idea to make it a, a weekly thing and call it full count. And that's exactly what we did so one set of three and one set of two just like in a full count you have a set of three balls and a set of two strikes so that's the the monday full count post we'll do that every monday through the rest of the the baseball season and i kind of dove into some of the individual performances there um the pitching staff as a whole jt gan uh the jake mangum uh record watch was was also in there one one player of note that i did want to mention now most of most of the individual stuff that i wanted to mention is in that so find that again just gave you all the places you can find it but the one thing i did want to mention that did not make full count and i'm sure he'll be talked about in that medium on this medium or somewhere pretty soon is justin foscue you know matt and i dove into just how he looks bigger and and seems to have a more powerful presence in the batter's box and is clearly uh pushing that power onto baseballs recently his his exit velocities have been awesome he's got more home runs already than he had last year he's just killing baseballs right now uh justin foscue had another fantastic week he was big in frisco he had four hits in the final midweek game against arkansas pine bluff i think he bumped his batting average on the season up near the 400 range definitely over 350 i think at one point it was flirting in the 390s somewhere he's just been incredible this year and sec play is coming up on us pretty quick there are four games in between this baseball team and the start of sec play at florida more on that later and he's he's just in fantastic form so if he can hold that form against maine uh and as you'll find out later on in in this soliloquy of mine that seems more likely than not that he'll be able to hold it that he he should be a serious threat for for every SEC opponent uh, on the schedule. He's he's something serious to deal with. A- again, the rest of my kind of thoughts on individuals are in the uh, in the full count post. So go and find that. But the one kind of broader team wide thought from the week, and those of you that are longtime followers of mine know that I'm very anti making big sweeping statements about teams early in their years, particularly with baseball teams because they play so many freaking games in a baseball season. But this is the kind of week that could honestly switch things in terms of Mississippi State potentially hosting a regional come June. I I honestly believe that, and here's why. When you have a good team in the SEC and you have a winning record in the SEC and you're near the top of the SEC because the SEC is so stacked and it's so good top to bottom everybody except Alabama recently has been so good 
you're going to stack quality wins in that league. So that league, just being in that league, playing 30 games in that league, winning more of those games than you lose, you're going to stack a lot of quality wins. You're going to do a lot for your strength of schedule and your RPI. You're going to give yourself at least an outside chance at hosting just by being good in the SEC. But the way the SEC works against you is that it's almost too good for teams like Mississippi State. The SEC isn't a league like the Pac-12 or the ACC in some years, although it hasn't been recently. Or even a a better example would be some of the the top-of-the-pack mid-major leagues where you've got some solid competition in there, but a truly excellent team, a truly hosting caliber team can go in there and stack 22, 23, 24 wins and kind of carve their way to a a regional hosting position that way. In the SEC, stacking up 23, 24 wins in that league is borderline impossible. It's incredibly difficult to do. So because you can be so good in the SEC and still come out of there at 19 and 11, or I think Ole Miss finished tied for the SEC West crown last year at 18 and 12, that that sounds right to me. You can you can be one of the best teams in the league in the SEC and come out eighteen and twelve because of that fact. You need some awesome non conference wins to pad your resume and, and just give you some I guess some wiggle room, some cushion. I guess now uh, an eighteen and twelve SEC team, a nineteen and eleven SEC team, they're pretty likely to at least have a chance at hosting a regional. Right, but if you have these non-conference wins, like you, like this Sam Houston State win, like this Texas Tech win, like this East Carolina win, even that that series win, excuse me, that series win over Southern Miss, that midweek win over UAB, all of those things. If Mississippi State takes care of business in the SEC, say they end up nineteen and eleven, they go into Hoover, and they aren't fretting about whether or not they're hosting. A regional. They know going into Hoover, they're hosting and they have an opportunity to get hot, maybe go to the championship game, maybe win the whole dang thing and just increase their seed line. And, and depending on how everything shakes out, maybe it's enough to push them into the top eight and host a super if they were to get there. Whereas, whereas if you don't have the, if you don't have the ability to stack quality non-con wins like Mississippi State has in the last two weeks, you might go into Hoover thinking, man, we really need to win a couple here to feel good about having a regional come to our place. You know, that's that's what Mississippi State gains here. They gain uh, just a little bit of cushion to know that if they take care of business in the SEC and they are what they have the potential to be, they can go into Hoover or even maybe the last week or two of the regular season, more or less knowing that a regional is going to come to Starkville, and that would be a huge development for this team, given the the hard roads to hoe they've they've given themselves the last two years, having to win that regional in Hattiesburg, then go to Baton Rouge for the Super, having to win that regional in Tallahassee, then win that Super regional in Nashville to get to Omaha. I don't think it, I don't think I really need to explain the impact 
of having a regional in Starkville, especially now that the brand new Duty Noble Field is is completely finished, and you can really pack that thing out and make it the regional environment that Mississippi State wanted it to be when when they set out and spent sixty eight million dollars on this stadium. So I think that's what Mississippi State accomplished, particularly last week with with those quality wins we just discussed: the Sam Houston State, the Texas Tech, and the ECU. But even going beyond that, behind that, to the Southern Miss series win and that midweek win over UAB. If UAB does blossom into the strong Conference USA team that it has the potential to be. Um, now let's let's turn the page forward a little bit for a quick minute before we get to our interview with Ross. In between podcast episodes, Mississippi State will play a three-game set with Maine. That will be the final non-conference series of the year. Friday, Saturday, Sunday set, uh, 6.33 and noon, all on SEC Network Plus. And then their midweek game is Wednesday against Grambling, Wednesday night, 6.30, SEC Network Plus. Then we'll podcast after that game before they start a pretty important stretch of of games. So their first SEC series is at Florida. An impressive non-conference game with Little Rock. There's some potential there, I believe. I haven't really looked into Little Rock yet, but there in general there's potential there. So their midweeks in between that Florida series are Little Rock at home on Tuesday at Samford on Wednesday before Auburn comes to town for the second weekend series of SEC play. So that's what Mississippi State has to look forward to. But in between this episode and the next one, Mississippi State will have a three-game series with Maine and a Wednesday midweek game against Grambling. We'll, we'll podcast after that to recap all of that and really dive into what the SEC should be, what Mississippi State should be in the SEC, and that that series against Florida that will start the 30-game grind that is an SEC schedule. Uh, also, to, to look ahead to the immediate future, that weekend series against Maine, there, there's a reason we're not spending a ton of time on, on this series. Guys, Maine just does not have much to offer. Uh, So coming into this, yeah, they did not have a midweek game this week. Uh, Well, they have yet to play at home, but of course they're Maine. They they can't play at home right now. So they've played 10 games, all of them on the road. Played a four-game set at Florida State to start the year. Three games at Maryland and three games at Liberty. Lost all 10 of them. The the poor Black Bears are 0-10. I'm sure many of you will make your Ole Miss jokes at once you realize that Maine is the Black Bears, and that's perfectly fine. Um, yeah, so they are 0-10. They have allowed seven runs or more in, let's see, six of those 10 games. Florida State scored 11 and 16 runs on them in the first two games of the year. Maine has scored more than four runs in a game twice in 10 games and they've allowed seven or more runs in what was the number five, five of their snuff, six, six of those, of those 10 losses. So Maine frankly just does not have much to offer this. This kind of strikes me like the Youngstown state series where, you know, you're, you're overmatching this team. So you just need to take it seriously and do to this team what you should do to this team and, and move on 
about your business. Try to get through these four games, the three against Maine, and then that Grambling game. Get through them healthy. Get through them with the same frame of mind and the same routine, the tempo, the rhythm, timing, everything else. Keep all of that intact so you're at this current version of yourself, which is pretty good. I'm not going to say it's the best version of yourself. We don't know that yet, but it's pretty good. Try to keep that version of yourself for when you have to go to Gainesville for, for three games to start the SEC season. Okay, without further ado, let's get to the interview with Ross Mitchell. Uh, talked about this year's team, talked about him being on the radio with Jim Mellis, even got a couple of stories from from his playing days. Really appreciate Ross for, for taking time after a game to, to join us here on Dogpile. Let's get to that interview right now. He ended three of his four seasons with a sub-3 ERA. He had a 1.65 postseason ERA on the way to the 2013 College World Series Championship Series. Now he's joining Jim Ellis on the radio call for the Diamond Dogs. But most importantly, he's also a member of one of rap's most influential groups, the Bench Mob. He's Ross Mitchell. Ross, appreciate your appreciate you joining Dogpile, and I'm going to start with my most important question. Please tell me you still have the red vest from from the bench mob video please tell me that is still in your closet somewhere i got bad news for you no no don't tell me that don't tell me that where where is it what happened to it I, honestly i think i gave it away we were at we were at a store i guess maybe this weekend and my wife said we saw the bench mob vest <laughs> uh, was, i'm sure it was a thrift store she was shopping at or something i don't know but yeah, we. I don't have any more. I have a similar one, but not the same one. Similar uh, is good enough. I'll, I'll take that. I'll take that. He's also roster phobic on Twitter. How'd you stumble into that uh, that handle? Well, in high school, it really started in high school. I would. I, my nickname was Hoss, okay. and I did the morning show, the sports for our morning show, and every single day I would put Hoss into something else. So one day I might be a hostage biscuit. <laughs> one day I might be a desperate housewife. One day I might be, uh, you know, Santa Hoss. I mean, you just never knew. So when I was making my Twitter handle, I had to do something similar. Okay, that's that's pretty funny. I appreciate that. That's good. So so how did you get into this, being on the on the radio call and, and being alongside Jim Ellis? How did you come into this line of work? Really, they just uh, approached me and asked if I'd be interested. And whenever they told me about the opportunity, I knew it was something I definitely wanted to do. One, just being in the booth with Jim Ellis is a special treat. And, you know, any time I can be back in Starkville and have an excuse to watch a baseball game is, is pretty special. Yeah. How, what is the, the player relationship with, with Jim Ellis? Like when you're, when you're a player, what is your relationship like with, with Jim Ellis? How were the teams you were on? What was their relationship with him? I mean, you know, you, you spent more time with him on the road, obviously. He, he would try to interview you about once a year. Uh, but everybody respected him. He was actually my foster parent one year, so I got oh, really? to build a little bit closer relationship with him then and with his wife, and they would invite us over to eat, you know, once a semester or so. So I have probably had a more unique relationship than some, but he's just a great guy, easy to talk to, and uh, obviously a legend here. Yeah, I, I just – I asked that because my, my favorite Jim Ellis story is – it's in the parking lot in Tallahassee. You played a regional there, right? I did. That was my first regional to be a part of. Okay, so it's in the parking lot of Tallahassee behind the left field wall. 
after Elijah hits that walk-off there to knock Florida State out of the regional last year. Uh, I'm assuming where in the parking lot we're standing would have been roughly where the ball landed had it not hit the scoreboard at 400 miles an hour. But we're, we're standing out there with Elijah, and I'm waiting to get a final minute or two with, with him. And Jim Ellis comes up, and he just kind of pats him on the arm and says he's proud of him and how amazed he was by what Elijah did. And just the look on Elijah's face, it looked like – he was hearing from a long-lost grandfather who had come to see him play and saw, just so happened to be there on the day that he did. He did something like that, and it just intrigued me that players were that aware of Jim Ellis and respected him that much because, like, let, let's be real, these are 18- to 21-year-old guys in 2019. Like, Facebook and Twitter resonate with them more than the traditional radio format, but they, they seem to have a pretty high level of respect for, for Jim. So I was just kind of curious how players view him and how they got to form that relationship with him. And it's, it's on the road, it sounds like. Yeah, mostly on the road because that's the, you know, whether you're eating breakfast in the morning because you're all staying in the same hotels or on a bus ride, uh, you, you know, you have the opportunity to really grow the relationship. Whereas here, you're you're getting ready for the game. You're in the locker room with your teammates, uh, but on the road, it kind of allows you, even with your teammates, to just and, and coaches to form a little bit different a bond. Yeah. Now I do want to pick your brain on this team, the 2019 Diamond Dogs, and we'll do that after this word from our sponsor. We do more than make a living off the land in North Mississippi. We live for the land, too. We live for an early morning duck hunt, time spent in a deer stand, a day of fishing, and the outdoor life. For more than 100 years, Mississippi Land Bank has been a great hunting partner for recreational land lovers. By helping to finance the land they set their sights on, we know what a hunter loves and the lay of the land in North Mississippi, and that's where I stand. Headed to the game at Duty Noble Field? Well, stop in Jubilations Coffee House in West Point on your way to Starkville. They're great Bulldogs at Jubilations, and they serve great coffee from the Bulldogs at High Point Roasters in New Albany. It's locally roasted, premium fresh coffee, straight from Dan the Coffee Man himself. While you're there, try the homemade sausage balls, scones, muffins, Tyson Lee's lovely cinnamon rolls, and of course, cheesecake. Stop in for lunch, fresh sandwiches, and soup that's made from scratch, and, of course, a full array of desserts. Open 6 to 6 Monday through Friday and 7 to 2 on Saturday. Jubilations Coffee House in West Point. Stop in and tell them Hale State. And we're back with, with Ross Mitchell joining Jim Ellis on the radio call, former Diamond Dog joining us here on, on Dogpile. So I want to start picking your brain on this team with this question because I feel like you're uniquely qualified to answer this because you shared a locker room with some electric players in, in your time. Adam Frazier, Kendall Graveman, Wes Ray, Hunter, Wes Ray, Hunter Renfro, Brandon Woodruff. I could go on forever. But JT Ginn is an incredibly exciting prospect what about him most excites you for the rest of this year and then for the rest of his career at state however long that may last yeah i actually got to coach jt in summer ball growing as he was in high school and something that's been unique is just his ability to learn how to pitch he's always been able to get out there and throw the ball hard but he's just started his command has obviously 
as we've seen this year, has been really good. Uh, he's always had a really good breaking ball, but being able to throw it where he wants, when he wants it, uh, you know, if he needs to get it in the dirt, he can do that. Uh, but see enough strike zone to get the hitters to bite. Um, he's obviously a big guy. He's, he's, he's mature for his age, and it, and it shows, but mentally he's tough. I, I, had, I really don't think I had that good of a changeup. Uh, but he wanted me to teach him. I was talking to him before the game. He wanted me to show him he's trying to learn. Uh, a lot of times when you're that good out of high school, you don't feel like you need to continue to learn. You feel like you've already got it down. But he's consistently trying to learn from different people, and that's important, and that's what makes him so special. So I guess in, in that regard, was he always ahead of the learning curve in terms of learning the art of pitching when you were coaching him in, in the summers in high school because he was already so good, but he also had the desire to learn and the desire to continue learning the, the craft. Did he Was he always ahead of the usual curve in terms of kind of the, the finer art of pitching? Uh, not necessarily, and that's what's been so impressive is how far he's gone in that how many we were talking he said in high school I could just sit there and throw it 98 they're not going to hit it yeah but when you get here you have to learn how to pitch and and that's what's been most impressive to me uh and sometimes when you don't have to make certain pitches you can just go out there and throw uh it makes it a lot tougher uh to take advice and but since he's gotten here, that's something that he's really sought out and it's really played a big part in, you know, what he's become so far and what we've seen. Yeah, and from, from him being a newcomer to, to some others, it, it looks like State is going to lean on some new guys in, in the bullpen, Colby White, Brandon Smith, Aaron Sarantola guys like that and, and you had success in your in your first year here you allowed a 182 batting average 118 era over 24 appearances 38 innings how does a pitcher find success in their first time through d1 baseball and then having to do it in the toughest conference d1 baseball has to offer because conference plays coming up pretty quick a lot of it's confidence you know for me my confidence really came after my first appearance i remember coming in with bases loaded nobody out if I that day, if I would have given up a big hit to score three, you know, my whole season might have been completely different. Yeah. But I was somehow able to get out of that in, and it just gave me some confidence going into the season. And and we've seen that so far out of all our pitchers. There, every single one of them, especially these news guys, look like they're throwing with a, a great amount of confidence, and it's showing. And, and I think Coach Foxhall has put a a mentality in them to go after these batters and to attack them with their fastball. And and we didn't see that as much last year. I think last year we were trying to pitch away from contact a lot of times. Mm-hmm. And this year it looks like we're pitching for contact, yet we're still getting a lot of strikeouts because they're competing out there a little bit more. Right, yeah. How I mean, and, and your, your first outing obviously went – but I'm sure there were outings that didn't go as well. How did you kind of regain the confidence and, and keep it where it was from when the, the non-conference opposition was here to when you started seeing three hole hitters in, in the SEC? How, did, how does one kind of maintain the confidence when, when the game eventually catches up to you and you have to give up a few hits? Yeah, a lot of it's just believing in your stuff. And these guys – they have a lot better stuff than I had, <laughs> but I believed in my, my, my fastball. 
I believed it had enough sink to get a ground ball on everybody I faced. Yeah. I wasn't going up, and that's important is to know what you're good at and what you can be successful with, mm-hmm. and trying to and knowing that you're better than anybody else at at whatever that is, whether that's throwing it by you or a breaking ball, and just a, a, a belief and that your stuff is going to beat what they had to offer. Yeah. Uh, and I also wanted to get your, your thoughts on this because I, I had a conversation with uh, Kyle Cheesebro, the de facto catching coach for, for State. Now he's he's new on the staff and kind of picked his brain on the art of catching and what he wants out of catchers. So from, from a pitcher's perspective, what makes a good defensive catcher and do you see those qualities in, in the guys that Mississippi State has rotated into that spot so far? Yeah, uh, a lot of it is trusting that they're going to block it up. But from a pitcher's to catcher standpoint, um, it's no it's 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 when it's have a pitch in your mind that you want, and they put that down for you, and you're not having to shake off the you know the really good battery. I guess you call it the battery yeah. fusion. We'll go with that. Okay, is when y'all are both on the same page for pretty much the whole game, and and as you get on the same page, and your catcher starts to learn your tendencies. And, and as he's studying the batters, because the catcher probably studies the batters throughout the game a lot more than the pitcher even does. Uh, and as that relationship grows, you start to really put your trust in the catcher and what he puts down, mm-hmm. and, and it becomes a very easy process for a pitcher. So, so it's not – I mean, it is important to block a, a breaking ball in, in the dirt with, with two strikes, for example, but it, it's more about – what pitch is called and what the location is and and how he puts you in a position to get out a, a high leverage out than it is the the actual physical act of of managing a baseball coming at him. Yeah, a lot of times and, and there's little things, you know, my freshman year I, the catcher if I threw it in the dirt, you know, he would take the ball and shove it in the ground and kind of swipe it when he threw it back at me. He was, <laughs> he was a senior at the time. I won't tell say who it was, but uh, you, you you definitely want a catcher that's going to work to to make you successful. Whether that's framing, uh, that, right. that's a big part. You know, you always hate when a you throw a pitch that you thought might have been close if he would have you know tried to frame it and he just kind of swipes at it. Yeah. Uh, so just him being locked in every single pitch is important as well. Okay. And, and and my last one because clearly no one else has the answer. So I'm, I'm curious if you do. How would you pitch to Jake Mangum? I would. Obviously, well, I was going to say I'd try to make him hit my pitch early in the count, but but he seems to do that pretty often yeah. to most of the people he faces. Yeah, how would you pitch a Jake Mangum? I don't really know if I have an answer because <laughs> there's really nothing that's a guarantee. Mm-hmm. Uh, it, that's what makes him so tough and unique is there's not that many holes in his swing. Um, I would just have to hope that he's guessing, and I, you know, tonight he had a pitcher threw a really good backdoor breaking ball and I don't think he was ready for it so I guess to try to out thank him and get him to guess something else but he's just an incredible hitter he's the biggest thing is his consistency every single year you know what you're going to get from him uh, he doesn't go through slumps and and that what that's what makes him such a great hitter and uh, I think he's going to have a very good big league career because of it do you, do you think you had enough sink on, on your fastball to, to get him out a few times? I would have got him out a few times. <laughs> enough no, there's only is the one question. Way, there's really only one way to find this 
the answer out. Uh, that, that can be arranged. You have the power. Yeah. I, you know, <laughs> since I'm doing some games, I'll be up here. Um, so I, I and, and you know I'm in Flowood, and he's from he, that's from true. prep. So maybe in the off season we'll have to get out on the mound and. I kind of get him ready for the season. You can throw in BP at the Trustmark game, the the Governor's Cup game in Pearl. Well, I'm not going to throw in BP. I'm, I'm, <laughs> I'm, I'm trying to get him out. It'll, it'll be live BP. Okay. Although, at this point in my career, it'd probably be a lot like BP. <laughs> you don't think you could get it to move anymore? Uh, it would probably sink, but it would be more the gravity taken. <laughs> that's funny that's funny well again we were joined by ross mitchell the former diamond dog you can listen to him on the radio call with jim ellis and uh appreciate you appreciate you joining dog pile we'll have to do this again later on in the year once we've got a little more sample size yeah i appreciate you having me on